0: Hi, I'm Dr. Hilary McBride. Normally, therapy sessions are totally confidential, but in Other People's Problems, I open the doors to let you hear sessions with my long-standing clients. This is what people sound like when they talk with someone they trust about healing addiction, parenting stress, racist ideologies in the family, and other topics that feel so timely as we come through this difficult time. Other People's Problems, available now on CBC Listen and everywhere you get your podcasts.
1: This is a CBC Podcast. Hello. 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 Hi. 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 I'm Brian.
2: Happy New Year. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. This is White Coat Black Art. We're at the home of Heather Badenoch in Ottawa. We met her two weeks ago. Heather is a living organ donor who helps other families do the same.
1: And
2: Sidra and Yusra. Yes. Brian, pleased to meet you.
1: Pleased nice, nice to, to meet you, too. too.
2: And last but not least...
1: I'm Colleen. Tara's, I, Coleen, Tara's I'm
3: mom.
2: I'm Colleen, Tara's mom. <laughs> this is a lovely gathering. Oh, yeah. This lovely gathering is a reunion of two families joined by the gift of life. Two years ago this month, Tara De Prado donated part of her liver to Farha Ali, a donor transplant that might not have taken place but for two things. A bit of serendipity, and Heather's knack for helping would-be recipients like Farha find their donors.
0: Hi, my name is Sidra. I'm Farha's youngest daughter, and I
2: think that's about it. I think that's about it,
4: too. (laughs) My name is Zusra and uh, I'm uh, Farha's oldest daughter, and um, I'm just so grateful that we're all here, and my mom is with us today.
2: Their mom is still with them today in spite of a harrowing medical journey. It began around 2011 when Farha contracted hepatitis C, which eventually caused liver cirrhosis and one complication after another. Farha's belly would get swollen with fluid.
5: Uh, I have too many uh, water in my tummy and after every two weeks we went to the hospital and take off my uh, fluid. And uh, after uh, 2014 or fifteen, I don't remember, but uh, fifteen uh, is uh, I have a small is, is scar in the liver.
2: As Farhas says, she got a lot sicker around 2015. Yusra picks up the story.
5: You could see it on her
4: face. She was um, yellow in tone, like jaundiced. Um, I think by that time... She was tired
0: very easily. It all started with her hepatitis C, and then it converted into a cirrhosis, and her ablations, I think it's called.
2: Ablation, or radiofrequency ablation, is a procedure for liver cancer. Yet another complication of hepatitis C Farha had to deal with. A probe is inserted into the cancer. It delivers electrical pulses that heat and destroy the cancer. The (laughs)
0: ablations that she used to get, there was that... And the last was the liver cancer, and I think the most—it um, it was just a
4: kind of a lifelong thing that she was looking at to get the um, fluid pumped from her stomach, and uh, it's—it was so many years ongoing, and it was tiring because right after that, why, right after she recovered from the, you know, getting her uh, fluid pumped, it would be time for it again because because it,
2: it it comes back almost as quickly as as you remove it, but the the cancer. The put put, put your death mom death death. on the clock, yeah. That, that, yeah. It, because if it had metastasized, yeah. then it would be too late yeah. to, to do the transplant. Months,
0: that's a... Six
2: months. So, yeah. so she really, it was like, yeah. wow, it was like do or die. Mm-hmm. To sum up, Farha had a liver that was failing due to cirrhosis and liver cancers, both compelling reasons for doing a transplant. But cancers aren't static. They get bigger and they spread. Surgeons say a transplant is not an option when the cancer has metastasized or when the tumors inside the liver are more than six centimeters in diameter. To live, Farha needed a donor liver. What were your mum's prospects for a transplant?
4: Um, so before meeting Heather, we were basically we all got tested. Uh, like we, we were asked our doctor, and um, we were told that we weren't a match for the family. There's family back in Pakistan. It was COVID times, so in Pakistan uh, there was family as well, and um, they they were willing as well. But because the doctor had said there's no travel that uh, that can be done internationally, so they were kind of out of the running for donating a liver. Um, so we were really mu- uh, very much in a bind, um, and uh, we were basically waiting for um, a, uh, deceased, uh, a deceased deceased uh, donor yeah. to
0: yeah. be available. I
4: guess, and I even then, we wouldn't be sure if it matched. Obviously, and we were told like if we did find a match, you'd have to come in as soon as possible. But everything was up, kind of up in the air. Um, we didn't, we didn't really have any other prospects really.
2: (laughs) To try and find a living donor, Sidra and Yusra turned to social media, but their initial efforts didn't pan out. Then in 2021, their fortunes changed for the better. That's when Sidra and Heather Badenoch met on a transplant Facebook group. Sidra explains. How did you meet Heather?
0: Uh, I actually, um, Heather introduced herself. i put a mini post as per se about mom saying that she needs a donor for her liver and that she's been diagnosed with liver cancer and whatnot. She has a cyst in her, in her organ there. Um, Heather commented on
2: that post and commented on it, like, like critiqued it, said you you could do better. (laughs) I can help you with this.
0: It's just the terminology that they use on Facebook, right? No, on
2: Facebook. So so what did she say?
0: So she said, um, I'm a volunteer along that lines, I don't remember exactly what it was, but she basically told us that she's a volunteer. She helps uh, look for living donors and whatnot. So then we messaged each other, went back and forth. She created a whole long post about all the details and the logistics of it and... We were posting it on Facebook groups and communities and sharing it to all these, I don't know, politicians? Keith Algea, remember that? Yeah. Yeah. City Keith yeah. Like. Yes. The, we basically were trying to get all our bases covered.
2: Heather managed to add some bases of her own. She helped the family build a social media webpage complete with photos and an explainer about liver cancer and the urgent need for a transplant. She got a city councillor to post it in a newsletter. And she used some culturally specific networks.
1: We did. So um, uh, a website called Muslim Link not only shared her story, but actually on their own initiative and without anything from us, ran it like an ad on their website. I saw it for weeks.
2: So what's the toughest nut? You've had to crack where to find a network for somebody who was isolated and it's happened 30 times so it, yeah. you must have helped
1: there, there have been some where they did not have an apparent community or workplace that we could tap into no no hr that i could phone and say would you distribute this internally or um There have been some that were certainly harder than others, but as a communicator, this is where also I like the challenge. Okay, how am I going to figure this out? How to get the message out is what I do every day professionally. And so this is what we tackle. And there are people for whom they just simply don't have a network. And so then when we create the Facebook page, when I make calls, to newsrooms because it's that's a thing I'm comfortable doing, I can try to get the message out for, for them in ways that they could not on their own. I will also try to tap into culturally specific communities, culturally specific radio stations, culturally specific newsletters, language-specific outlets that are more likely to carry their story because they're one of us. For example, Uh, A woman's need for a liver donor, and we haven't found one yet, just ran in a Portuguese newspaper in Toronto. And she will be also a special guest at a Portuguese fundraising event that will happen in Toronto for transplant. And so her Portuguese community is embracing her and helping her to amplify that message. And so that is an approach that can work quite well.
2: As is tapping into the transplant community, because not everybody's been a donor. I mean, there may be a lot of people, there may be a vast circle around somebody who has either been a donor or a recipient, and now you're networking with their, so so that's another community. And you know, what's interesting about that is that this person who comes from a disadvantaged background is now tapping into a community where they're, they're, they're actually finding their people. Yeah. That crosses cultures, doesn't it? Yeah.
1: Yeah. It does. It, it crosses cultures and people ultimately, ultimately all we're asking with these campaigns, we're not actually ever asking someone to be a donor. The ask is always hit the share button, tell someone, share this with your network. Just help us spread the word. We don't actually ask anyone to be a donor because we donors know that when the right person sees it, they just do it. I'll do it. Mm Yep. Yep. It'll feel right.
2: Yusra and Sidra say they were grateful for Heather's expertise and her help, but... You were skeptical in the beginning.
4: I was very skeptical. I honestly, before, because I thought, you know, uh, there's no chance. Like, what, what is Facebook going to do? I'm going to be the first one to say that I was very skeptical. I, I didn't think it was going to pan out to anything, but I was very nicely surprised and um, The the work she does is just absolutely amazing Um, there can't be enough praises there.
2: So what was it about the work that that you noticed that was amazing?
4: So it it had a wider much wider reach. So before um, I had posted and uh, Sidra has had posted like just um, on our Facebook like in newsfeed. So it, it was only reaching our friends and when Heather created that page, it had a far wider reach, um, I guess, like, I, I don't know exactly how it works because <laughs> I'm not very Facebook savvy, but uh, far wider reach than we had kind of planned, to.
2: Then a bit of luck and a pivotal connection.
1: For all of the targeted work that happened how we ultimately found a donor was that I posted this because she's a neighbor, because she lives close by in a Facebook group called Nepean being neighborly. And it's our local being neighborly group where you ask, where can I get my tires changed? And who likes wings at what spot, right? Neighbor stuff. And I put it in there and the woman
3: who became Farha's donor saw it.
2: That woman was Tara DePratto.
3: Hi, my name is Tara, and um, I donated part of my liver to Farah so that she could have a better life.
2: We'll be right back. Hi there, I'm Gavin Crawford. I'm a writer, an actor, and a comedian. And for the last eight or nine years, I have been navigating life with my mother's increasing dementia. Has it been sad? Yeah. Has it been funny? Also, Yeah. That's what my brand new podcast series, Let's Not Be Kidding, is about. It's the true story of my life as a comedian, my mom, and dementia. Let's Not Be Kidding, with me, Gavin Crawford. A new seven-part series from CBC Podcasts, available now. You're listening to White Coat Black Art. This week, Farha Ali gets a new liver thanks to some effective marketing, a bit of luck, and a selfless living donor named Tara DePrato. Tara saw a posting on a Facebook group based in Nipean, just outside of Ottawa. What was it about the pitch that attracted you?
3: Um, it wasn't the pitch at all, I'll be honest. It was, um, I looked at the picture and I knew it was going to be me to donate. I didn't even read The pitch. I read the pitch, but two days before I saw the post, I'd actually had a conversation with my partner about how, in theory, I would donate an organ. And then two days later, pops up this opportunity that I knew in my body and soul that I needed to do. My head was like, no, you're crazy. Stop. This is ridiculous. But my body and heart knew that I needed to do this, um, so I slept on it. And then the next day I knew that if I didn't apply to at least see if I was eligible, then I would regret it because I knew that I was the person who was going to be to do this. So I knew I had to, and it wasn't a question. It was a knowing. So I did it. And the pitch, that said, the pitch was great. It had details, you know, um, just sort of the details of the history of the illness and, and the urgency. And then the photo that was there just made me see the sadness and the pain. Um, and I just wanted to help, so I did. I, I applied.
2: Tara said she wanted to help. Then she told people in her circle.
3: Not everyone agrees with your decision, and not as everyone is supportive, and that is the most difficult part of it. For so me. you've had yeah. issues like that. I, for me, yeah, I had um, some people in my life that weren't fully supportive, at least at the beginning, um, and you know, leading up to it, basically, and having to to deal with that was not. A positive experience, um, but once you talk to people and you sort of get them to understand where you're coming from, they might—they still might not agree with you, but it's still—it's even that's raising awareness. And um, but it is a difficult conversation to have with some people, and um, some people think you're flat out crazy. I was called crazy by more than one person, but I was like, eh, could be worse. If if, if my crazy is helping someone, then I'm okay with that.
2: Was that the first time you'd applied?
3: Yeah. Yep.
2: <laughs> so you weren't you weren't a you weren't a would be donor until no. that was a very short uh, courtship.
3: No, it was uh, it was I saw the picture, knew that I was going to be doing it. It was a divine intervention. I, I'm not a religious person, but this has made me a lot more spiritual because I knew and I knew that if I didn't, that she might not make it because I didn't know if anyone else out there was going to. But I knew that I could, and this is all without any um, any scientific background. This is no testing done. I just I just knew. So I had to apply.
2: So what happened next?
3: Um, next, I got really scared because they did the initial assessment and said that I could go through with it. And I was like, uh-oh, now I'm in. And so, um, but then I went for testing in Toronto and they did a lot of different tests. They test every possible thing. Um, and then I made it through that round of tests, which was terrifying just because they're testing every part of your body. You're not sure if they find something else. It's not related to this. It's bad news, but, you know... You go through that fear, but then every step, like my heart knew this was happening already. So every step was just a step closer to what was supposed to happen. Um, and then I went for a second round of tests uh, later on. And then they called me and said that I was a match and that we could go ahead with it and to pick a date. And they gave me two options. One was very close and one was about a little while later. Because And then because it was COVID, I just said, go for the one that, that came first. Um, and then we did. And then I guess Far- Farah and her family must have found out. I'm not quite sure because at the time they didn't know who I was and I didn't have contact with them. So it was a bit mysterious and it was uh, I was just hoping that they thought it was good news.
2: <laughs> yeah. Farha got word that there was a match for a living donor.
5: I and my all family is very happy and uh, God for thanks. She is very nice and her uh, all family is very nice because they will do uh, they will give me a liver so I am very happy because I I like I am blank (laughs) somebody give me a a piece of body
2: you're surprised shocked
5: yeah shocked yeah you're right
2: I want to ask the skeptic: uh, were, you, were you there when the when the call was was received? I
0: think when was it like- was like a week or so before the surgery actually happened. Yeah, I think okay. Dad picked it up, and then okay. as Mom heard it, yeah. yeah, yeah, Dad picked up the phone, okay. and then he was like, "Oh, it's the transplant team calling." So then mom picked up the phone, too, and we're all like, what's going on? And they give us the news, and we're like, oh, my God, (laughs) and started crying. I think there were a lot of happy tears that that day.
4: (laughs) They told me afterward, and tears were flowing, and then I just, I'm like, I, that was very wrong, my thinking. <laughs> so if anybody out there is skeptical about this, this whole social, everything media that, yeah, social media, everything that um, Heather does, her volunteering uh, activities to find, to match up people uh, for liver donations, I mean, it works. It really does work.
2: Unlike Heather's donor transplant, this one was not anonymous. As Tara mentioned, she had seen Farha's photo as part of the social media campaign, But Farha's family hadn't seen her, at least not yet.
3: Um, One of the social workers I worked with at the hospital said, you know, there's an uneven power dynamic when you know who the person is and the recipient doesn't know who you are. So that kind of weighed on me. So I woke up, I didn't plan this, but I just woke up two days before the surgery We're, I think all of us were in Toronto at the hotel. um, And I just messaged on this Facebook page that they had set up and I'm like, "Um, hey, I uh, just wanted you to know that I'm the person donating to your to your mother. And then I think it was Yuzra called me immediately. She's like, can I please call you? So she called me. And then, of course, we started crying on the phone. Um, and then, yeah, so I ended up meeting them then. And then I think in person we met for the first time in June. I believe it was June of 2022. Because the, the surgery was in January. So COVID,
4: and we were trying to give uh, her, you know, be safe with her, be safe yeah. with yeah. my mom. So... But I can tell you, I don't know if Tara. Do you want to? say, Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but the when we were at the hotel, the whole time since we found out, and since uh, until the like until we found that out that was uh, Tara, the whole time my mom just wanted to know like who is it? I want to thank them. <laughs> who is the person that is donating liver to me? So I, we had obviously. We didn't know until we got the call, and we were all in the same room. I think we we, we called you're... her. Yeah, we called her. You guys her
0: were on the way to Toronto. I got the message on Facebook. I called Tara right was after. It yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, sorry. sorry. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
4: but was... I remember talking to Tara at the hotel. Because,
0: yeah, like cause the first we, time, yeah, the yeah.
4: first time, I guess, right before the surgery, we all talked
5: to her. That's what I remember. Yeah. but
2: yeah. finally, Farha got the transplant she needed to survive.
5: Before surgery, I I was very, um, nervous, but I am very happy.
2: Aside from a bit of pain when she woke up from surgery, Tara found it a lot easier than she had anticipated.
5: Oh my goodness,
3: um, I'd never had surgery before so I'd never been put under. So for me, that was the scariest thing. I wasn't as concerned about the actual surgery. I was more terrified of being put under because I didn't know what it would feel like. Um, but, uh, the anesthesiologists were amazing at the hospital and they just put me right out. And, um, so I was terrified leading up to the surgery. Um, and then when I woke up, I just remember waking up being like, oh, my goodness, what did I do? Because it was so painful. Um, but then after about 5, 10 minutes, pain medications went in. And, uh, yeah, then I was uh, recovering for a little while. And it was very weird to have this giant incision in, uh, in your body. But, you know, your body is an amazing thing. And it can heal quickly. And it was good. <laughs>
1: Okay, and then also there's this lovely, um, what do you call this, a Danish? It looks like jam. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Danish. Okay, I can cut it in half if anybody would like, but please don't
2: be shy. Two families bound together by the gift is, of life. It all, so, so, Watching it all unfold now, is the woman who helped make it happen, Heather
1: Badenoch. It continues to show that stra- complete strangers will step up and help each other. And these two women who had never previously met, aren't from the same culture, have many things not in common. May not have met otherwise. And Tara saw it and decided, I'm going to do it. And she did. And then there's also a bit, like the fruit. Yeah, I'll definitely have some fruit. I I went to
2: a wedding and Do you guys, do you, uh, Heather and Tara, feel like you've got a connection to one another?
3: Yeah. yeah, I do because that before the surgery we went for a walk we walked for like we did I don't even know we went around my neighborhood twice because I had to ask her questions just about things like practical things about the surgery like what do I need in the hospital what will happen to my digestive system afterwards (laughs) just to you know get some because it's different right um so I was able to to talk to Heather actually pretty extensively before I um even met Farah and her family so yeah, in that way, definitely. So she gave
2: you her experience? yep.
3: Yeah. Yeah, she gave me her experience and it was helpful for me. It, it put my mind at ease a little bit because it was, it's a, it's a scary prospect to think of. So it was really nice to talk to someone and just get their experience and, and know that everything everything's okay. Peer
1: support is essential to this. Yeah.
3: Yeah. The, I had peer support as well from someone who
1: had been a non-directed donor before me. Um, mm-hmm. The hospital offered to introduce me to someone, I accepted, and they matched us very well. We have a lot in common, we're still in touch. And so that peer support, the transplant team, the, the, everybody gives you so much information. There's a manual online, there's tons of information. There's also things that you need to hear from a peer, from someone who's done it, that are it's completely different. And it doesn't inform, it didn't inform my decision to do it or not do it, I'd already decided. But you get little critical tidbits that are just really helpful along the way.
2: This is such an important story because of the larger context that that Canada is a laggard when it comes to organ donation, that we we do fewer per capita donations than a lot of other countries. You're pouting now.
1: Wouldn't it be amazing if everybody could get The organ that they need, whether it's deceased donation, whether it's living donation, whether it's medical advances, there's interesting work going on in xenotransplantation where organs from animals are being transplanted into humans. Wouldn't it be amazing if also medicine advanced to the place where transplant wasn't necessary, where we could stop these diseases in their tracks before they got to a place? I mean, I have a lot of hope and I really, I believe in people. And so... I like to believe that my volunteering, my small little contribution helps to close the gap that little bit for these people. And that the more we have conversations like the one you and I are having right now, just normalizes. That like some normal person with a dog lives in the suburbs can just step up and do it.
2: Farah and her family are immensely grateful to Tara. Both are grateful to Heather. For bringing them together
1: I think the most important role
0: she played we wouldn't be here today if that was if it wasn't for her you're so awesome <laughs>
5: <laughs> yeah Heather is a nice uh, person and she very helpful and I am very happy with uh, her uh, job
2: she did a good job, <laughs> yeah, good, job. A
5: good job I honestly
3: would never have I don't think I ever would have seen the ad because it was in a neighbor. I was randomly in this neighborhood group, and then this was posted in that group. So the outreach that was done to get it to more people in the public um, was incredible. Because without that, you would not be able to find people. I think, as Yuzra and Sidra mentioned, if it's just your friend group, it is your friend group, and they can spread it to other people. But you don't know who you're not reaching. So having that outreach is really important.
2: In 2022, just under 3,000 organ transplants were performed in Canada. One in five of them used living donor organs. That's according to the Canadian Institute for Health Information. That year, 273 people died while on the wait list. The world would be a kinder place if there were more people like Heather Badenoch and Tara De Prado. That's our show this week. Our email address is whitecoat at cbc.ca. If you like this episode, please give us a rating and review wherever you listen. White Coat Black Art was produced this week by Samir Chabra, with help from Stephanie Dubois and Isabel Gallant. Our digital producer this week is Ruby Buiza. Our senior producer is Colleen Ross. We have some important scheduling news for you. Beginning this week, White Coat Black Art is on Saturdays at the slightly new time of 1.30 p.m. in most parts of Canada, 2 p.m. in Newfoundland and Labrador. The Sunday time slot remains the same. That's medicine from my side of the gurney. I'm Brian Goldman. See you next week.
1: For more CBC podcasts, go to CBC.ca/podcasts.